If this is your first time to be with us at One Community, again, I welcome you, but you're also jumping in with us into a study of the book of 1 Peter that we've been in for just a short time, and so I can catch you up to speed in a matter of a moment. Peter, as many of you know, is the apostle of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus, was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry, was called into the ministry by Christ himself. He was a commercial fisherman. God transformed his life. Peter became a great preacher. Not only that, but Peter was an eyewitness of the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and went on to preach the name of Jesus. Peter was a minister at a time when it was really difficult. The Roman Empire was in control of all things governmentally. They were a very heavy-handed, oppressive government and made it very difficult. But Peter gives a lot of instruction here about our faith being tested in like a furnace of fire. And so we have called this series of 1 Peter, this whole study, Faith Under Fire. Because what we're learning as a church is what does it look like to be a Christ follower when my faith is being tested and tried day in and day out, no matter what the circumstances, it feels like my, my faith is always being thrown into a fire. What am I going to do with it? And so the question's going to be is, will I choose to obey the word of God and align my, my life to always follow God's word? Or will I choose a way that would be just satisfactory to me or what I deem is right in my own eyes? We get to the book of First Peter in chapter 2. And Peter makes this statement in verse 11. He's making a plea. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lust, which that when it's the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We've already studied those verses, but just as a, as a backdrop to what we're looking at today, Peter is begging people scattered because of persecution on the church. They're scattered all over the place. They are receiving this letter from him, and he is begging them to understand you are a pilgrim and a sojourner or a stranger, which means your home is heaven, you're passing through here. So as someone whose kingdom is eternal, this is how you live in the present. And his plea here is this. Stay away from sin. So that your conduct is honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak about you evil, that they see your good works, and then ultimately they glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a day God's visiting them in terms of a couple of things seen in texts we've seen before. When God visits, he draws people unto salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. He convicts of sin, and he often will use the life of a Christ follower to validate the gospel, and not only that, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day. It's the conduct of our conversation. It's the conduct of the manner of what we choose to do with our lives daily. It validates the gospel as we preach the gospel. But he said this, that he said that, that by the good works that they would observe, they would ultimately glorify God. Now, 1 Peter 2.13 is where we go today. He says, therefore, based on this fact, based on the fact that our good works are to bring glory to the Lord on the day of visitation, therefore, here's how we need to conduct ourselves in regards to the government. What a timely, timely text. You know, there's times that, you know, as a preacher, you're wondering, okay, we're going to be outside. It's a holiday weekend. Should we just go ahead and approach the, the book in the same way and... 
my approach is usually, yes, let's just do that. I pray and ask God to guide us to the book of the Bible he wants us to learn from and let God sort it out for what we need to learn week to week. And this is what he's got for us this week. Praise God. So, therefore, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. If you notice the verb in parallel, subject unto the authorities of government, the authorities of those who enforce the laws of the land or the ordinances of man. So we submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. Now, why do we do that? For the Lord's sake. And I'll explain that more in just a moment. He then puts in the government authority figures, the king, the governors, those who were appointed by the kings and governors to execute the judgment or to carry out the law. And they are appointed as such. Now, interesting with Peter, and in a moment we're going to also look at one of Paul's writings, both of these men have suffered mightily at the hand of government. Heavy-handed government that did not treat them fair in every occasion. But they did not qualify the statements about subjecting ourselves or submitting ourselves to the government or to the law based on whether they were good or bad or a tyrant or evil, it didn't matter. He, that no qualifier wasn't qualify the statement. But what is instructed here as a Christ follower, I am to model subjecting myself and submitting myself to the ordinance of men for the Lord's sake. Now, when I subject myself, I have to realize that every ordinance of man, well, some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. We recognize that. We all understand that. Sometimes they seem unfair. Even in Paul's day, in Peter's day, and same thing happened. But what does it change my the does it change my role? Does it change my submission? No. In fact, a couple of examples that you know we 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 applaud oftentimes ordinances that we see to our benefit. For example, it did not used to be an ordinance that there would be handicapped parking or a certain number of handicapped spots on a parking lot until just a few years ago. But there is now, and I praise God for that. And not only that, if you violate it, it always says it on the sign, $500 fine if you violate it, because it needs to be enforced in case people choose not to obey that. You know, we celebrate, and some do, Every ordinance gives access to some and restriction to others. If you, if you watch how this works. Obviously, the handicapped parking opportunity gives great access, but it restricts the closest to the door for others that want to run to the door fast. Designated smoking areas or no smoking areas. Well, many applaud that. But the people who smoke don't always want to go stand outside in the rain and the cold. No loitering. Well, we're thrilled. We don't have to wade through people loitering around a, a front door of an establishment so we can just walk in freely. Unless that's the place where you find shelter every night and the only place you find shelter. And then we come to this where we are now. The obvious is the, the face mask and all the things that come along with the times we live today. And we all, we all love to do this, to debate and to discuss the scientific evidence. We all have our experts. We all do our thing. I get all that. But the fact is, we want to walk in obedience to the ordinance. 
We just obey the ordinance. Whether I agree with it, love it, hate it, doesn't make any difference. I'm going to walk in obedience to the ordinance. Why? For the Lord's sake. It's not for Dwayne's sake. It's for the Lord's sake because that's what we are instructed to do. Sometimes I've been in these spots. Something like a face mask is probably not that big of a deal, but when my family lived abroad, we were, we were put in a couple of pretty tough environments at times. I remember one day being called to, I was a teacher at a university in another country and was called to the university and Hoffman, you need to come to the university for a meeting. Be sure you bring your passports for you and your family. That's not that uncommon. I, I've done that many times. But on this particular day, the H1N1 or the swine flu had broke out and uh, we were now going to be put on home restriction, not allowed to leave our home. And not only that, they said, we need your passports and take your passport away. Why? Well, we don't want you to travel. Well, you, I'm not going to go anywhere. Just ask me not to travel and I'll not travel. No, we must take your passport away. Well, you realize when you take my passport, I have no access to the bank. I can't get money out of the bank because you have to have a passport to do everything. Yeah, well, we're sorry about that, but that's what we need to do. Well, then not much time goes by. Well, then I have another, uh, another bill that needs to be paid. Hoffman, you need to pay this. Well, I can't. I don't have the money to do that. Why don't you have the money to do this? Because <laughs> you took my passport. And I have no access to my resources, my funds to pay this. It's impossible. Oh, that's very much trouble for you. Ah, you're right. It is. <laughs> that doesn't fix the problem. It was an unfair and unrealistic, but it wasn't also a place for me to push back and fight against because, number one, I was not in my home country, so I have no rights there anyway. I checked my rights at the gate. But number two... I was not going to help the person I was dealing with who didn't make the rules anyway. They're handing them down. I am in no way going to bump them one step closer to Jesus by making their life miserable and forcing them to have to make decisions about me and what to do because I've made it hard. And my goal is for the Lord's sake, for the Lord glorified God in the day of visitation. That's my goal here is that all people would have when they come to this spot where God is drawing them and God is convicting them and God reveals the gospel to them. It's designed to, to bump them one step closer to Jesus in all conversation and manner of life. But sometimes these ordinances don't always seem fair or just and I don't like them and they feel like they rob things away from me. On the flip side, they often afford other opportunities as well. Is there an exception to this? Yes. In the word of God, we have exceptions. When the Ordinances of men violate the scripture. You follow the scripture, not the ordinance. We all know the stories of Peter. He's, I mean, he's the one that writes this. Submit yourself to every ordinance of men. He's also the guy who broke it. When? In Acts chapter 4, he was told to quit preaching Jesus. And he said, I can't help it. I can't help but to speak of the things which I have seen and I have heard. Stop preaching Jesus or else. Well, I guess I'll take the or else because I have to keep speaking of the things that I have seen and I have heard. He is not going to violate the word of God in order to follow the ordinance of man. You think about this. There's so many examples. I'll just share another one. But you think about in the Old Testament when uh, in the book of Daniel, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, classic example where the ordinance was, when you hear the sound of the music, everybody bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar, this golden statue. Three guys, and here, here was the problem. You can have a celebration day, you can play the music. All that's cool, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed up in honor of the king for all of it. But where it stepped over the line was, if you watch in Daniel, it says, when you hear the sound of the music, bat, worship the image. Er, time out. I'm not worshiping the image. Now you've stepped over, and now we're violating the word of God because I'm not going to bow to any idol. And so there are exceptions, and the only exception is this. If the ordinance of man violates the word of God, you go with God, not the ordinance of man. But you also have to realize you may suffer at that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got tossed in the fiery furnace. God rescued them, but throughout history, when people did not shut their mouth over the name of Jesus, Peter and Paul, both, who we are hearing from today in this very issue, lost their lives at the ordinance of men because they would not quit talking about Jesus. For the Lord's sake, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. It's for His glory. But we also need to understand the governments and the ordinances and all this is of the Lord. Now let's hear this from Paul's mouth, Romans chapter 13, if you want to flip that direction. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. For there is no, hear this, don't miss this. There is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Well, that can't be right. This is the United States of America and we vote. Come November, we're going to vote. How can you say they're appointed by God? Because I can assure you of this, God is overseeing all of these things. And so whether you are happy or broken on the next day after the election, I can assure you of this, God did not fall off the throne the night of the election and is in shock and awe that the United States is going where it's going. That's not, that's not the case. No, God is overseeing all the authorities exist are appointed by God because God is carrying out a divine purpose. We often see things through the lens of our North American mind, our Western mind. But if we will be careful here to be mindful of nations around the world today that are ruled by tyrannical governments, making it miserable for Christ followers. Many lose their lives. There have been more people killed for the name of Jesus Christ in the last hundred years than the previous 1900 years combined. And God allows this. God is accomplishing a divine purpose. You say, well, what is it? I don't have to figure that part out. I can go to my Bible, though, and submit myself and recognize that God accomplishes his purpose even when I submit myself to things that I don't always love or agree with. But why? For the Lord's sake, recognizing these authorities exist, are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. I'm not just bucking against a government issue. I'm bucking against God himself. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. That was the intent. God's design of the, of the different government structures is for that intent. But, you know, you go to your Bible and you look at the various leaders in Scripture 
And some were wonderful leaders like David, a man after God's own heart. Now he sinned and blew it on some occasions, but he was a good leader and he led Israel well and he guided Israel with a heart for God to worship God. But that wasn't always the case with even the leaders of Israel. But you look at the other nations around Israel, the Gentile nations around them, led by Nebuchadnezzar, the authority that he had, God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. God gave him the power and the authority that he had. For what purpose? God was accomplishing a divine purpose with Nebuchadnezzar, and that was that he would overthrow Israel, and they would be deported and taken to Babylon, Iraq, for captivity. For 70 years, it was a judgment. God executed his judgment upon the nation of Israel and used another leader, a tyrannical leader, to accomplish his purpose. We can't hardly wrap our head around all that. But God is orchestrating all these things simultaneously to accomplish his purpose, to, to raise up one, put down another, organize this the way he wants it, ultimately for what reason? Why would God do any of this? It brings glory to him because it guides people to the gospel where the name of Jesus Christ is, is now heard and people have an opportunity to make a, a faith decision for Jesus. You think about the Caesars in Jesus' day. It was the Caesar who appointed Pilate. It was the Caesar who appointed the Herod that was over the, govern, the governing authorities of the region. It is the same God that would raise up a Hitler, a Stalin, a Marx, a Chairman Mao. Presidents for good or for bad, all these other nations. God does all that? Yes, he does. And so my submission to this is I'm not, I, I am submitting myself unto the Lord. It's for the Lord's sake when I submit myself to the ordinances of men and under the authorities, even if I don't like them or agree with them first peter 2 14 says we'll go back to first peter for just a moment it says this these supreme leaders and governors send out these ministers to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good the intent is that those who do good are praiseworthy and those who do evil are punished. When you compare that back to what Paul said in Romans, well, he said in verse 3 that for rulers are not a terror or a fear to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? That's the question. Do you want to be unafraid of authorities? Here's the answer. Do what's good and you'll have praise of the same. For he is God's minister. Don't ever miss this are God's ministers for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. It helps you understand, well, why does God do this? Why does God have law enforcement in any nation? It doesn't matter where you go. There are ordinances and laws and boundaries put in place and those who are designed to enforce them for good or bad. I mean, some of them are very extreme and very difficult. But God puts these things in place intending for good, but also the enforcement of it for fear. I don't know about you, but, and this has happened unfortunately to me, but when you're buzzing down the road and those really cool flashing lights appear behind your vehicle, I don't know about you, but my heart starts pounding in my chest. It's not like I've committed some heinous crime and I'm going to prison for the next 30 years. That's not true. 
What am I afraid of? Well, this is probably going to cost me 200 bucks. That's what I'm afraid of. Because I've probably forgotten left the insurance card on the table that Amy told me, be sure to put that in your glove box. I probably forgot to put the stickers back on my license plate. Oh, I was going to do that. Oh, man. And I've, I'm not in order. I'm violating the ordinances. So I have every reason to make my heart pound in my chest, right? Because I violated the ordinances. It's going to cost me something. It brings a fear. Why in the world would they put a sign up here? And I don't know well, it does. There's a fine attached to parking in a handicapped spot. It's to deter, to create a fear. You park where you don't belong and it may cost you 500 bucks. And everybody's like, "Woo! it's not worth the extra 20 feet to park for 500 bucks. He's God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he's God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on who practices evil. That's the intent. But here's what's the bummer. God's designed the structures knowing that some of these are evil and the course of evil runs fluid in this world. Always keep track of this. The prince of the power of the air, the rulers of darkness of this world are orchestrating the utter dark things that happen every day all over the planet. And God, by his grace and his mercy, puts agents in place as ministers, I call them agents, but they're ministers, servants of him, to enforce the laws, the ordinances, for our own good and our own protection. Try to imagine, in our country today, if there was just absolutely no law enforcement, no one to enforce or to hold back evil, we would be all in fear of somebody coming into our home, and anarchy would set in, and we'd probably all carry weapons and do all kinds of things. We wouldn't feel the liberty to stand, be here this morning. You'd have to have everybody guarding. I've been in nations like that. Where if you tried to gather as a group of Christians like this, you better have armed guards all the way around because it's not safe. But here's what's strange in the Bible and it gives me a lot of comfort and instruction here. God puts these ministers in place to invoke the fear and to carry out the law. But sometimes those that do that don't always do it right. This happened with Paul. You watch two stories happen inside of three chapters. In Acts chapter 16, Paul's arrested for preaching Jesus. Paul's beaten, thrown in prison. Him and Silas get thrown in the clink. They begin in the middle of the night to sing praises to the Lord. The Philippian jailer gets saved. Praise God for that. God gets them out of jail and they move on down the road and all of this happens again and again. It was a scenario though when Paul was arrested that it was out of bounds. The punishment didn't match the crime. Everything about it was out of bounds. But then you get to Acts 19 and it was the government official when the mob went crazy and there was a riot and it was the government official that grabbed Paul by the nap of the neck and drug him out of that and set him in a place that was safe and rescued him from wicked and unreasonable men. Peter faces the same scenario. In Acts 4, he's told not to preach. He does it anyway. Because he's going to appeal to God's law instead of, his, instead of the laws of men. But I like this. In Acts chapter 12, you don't need to turn there, but in Acts chapter 12, Herod decides to please the crowd 
and has James, the brother of John, executed. He sees that the crowd liked it. And he's like, good, arrest Peter. I want him too. This will be a great show. They arrest Peter. They throw him in prison. He hasn't done anything. It's a false arrest. There's nothing about that that's right. But always remember, it was Paul and Peter both who in these scenarios, they did not resist. They obeyed the ordinances of men. They submitted. They were wrongly arrested, thrown into prison, and they did not resist. But watch what happens here, how God is capable then of shutting the mouths of the foolish men. In that scenario with Peter, he gets thrown in prison. Peter begins to pray. The church gathers and begins to pray. God supernaturally leads him out of prison. Peter shows up at the house where the prayer meeting's all happening. That was really cool. Foolish declares himself that he believes he's God. And so when all the people begin to praise him for being a God, and he's like, you know, I kind of like the sound of that. That sounds really good to me. Keep going. And you know what? God shut him down. In an instant, he took his last breath on the planet and worms came and ate him up in front of everybody. That sounds awesome to me. God is able to silence the foolish. You listen to what happened with Jesus. The most heinous crime of all, and this is where you get your templates for how to react. Jesus was arrested falsely in the middle of the night, was given a false trial, was beaten and scourged, and ultimately was led off to go see Pilate, the Roman government, who by his own admission says, I find no fault with this man. He doesn't know what to do with him. Here, kick him off to Herod. Herod says, I've tried him. I find no fault with him either. He's done nothing worthy of death. And so Herod kicks him back to Pilate and says, your jurisdiction, it's your problem. You deal with it. Kill him, kill him. And Pilate has no choice here because the crowd's going crazy. I want this guy. Kill him, kill him, kill him. And finally, Pilate, you remember, just washes his hands of it in front of everybody and says, it's on you, not me. Not true. He is the minister of God, and he was the one in authority. That is not true. He just took the easy street. But at the end of the day, we all know the story. Jesus is led off to be crucified. And that's all of this heinous crime and false accusations and trial and all of this that has happened. And yet, you know what? It, all it did was fulfill prophecy in the scriptures perfectly because Jesus knew when he came to this planet, he came to be crucified to pay our sin debt. So when I look at Jesus and take my cue from him who submitted himself so that ultimately at the end of the day, you know, God gets the glory. And salvation is now made available to all men. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When we as Christ followers do good, we, we live in accordance to the ordinances. But not only that, but we, we dive into the gaps of society and we find those places where the laws or the ordinances are not protecting people. And Christ followers have done this for years and we need to continue to do this. Find the spots in society where you can dive into the gaps and be the help and do good. And often you'll find that the, the government and the ministers of God will be praiseworthy of that or praising for that. But here's what foolish men will do. Foolish men will say there's no God according to Psalm 14. 
According to Proverbs, I'll just list them all fast. They speak all of their mind. This is what fools do. Fools will speak all of their mind quickly. They treat mischief as sport. It's just fun. Let's stir it up, make it go big. They rush to conclusions without getting all of the information. They cannot be reasoned with. They mock the potential for punishment. Don't care. And they reject the obvious. The truth is right in front. I'm not buying it. Forget it. This is, these are just snippets of what Proverbs describes as the, the mind and the manner of the fool. Now, what are we supposed to do with this as a Christ follower? For this is the will of God. Hear it again. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When we do good, even we submit unto the ordinances, and we don't just keep rattling on and pushing back and making a big issue out of things. No, you just, you submit to that. And here's what happens. It takes all the wind out of their sails. It puts to silence the ignorance of foolishness. In verse 16, he says, as free, because we are free in Christ, the truth is set us free, Christ has set us free, yet not using your liberty or your freedom as a mile for vice or wickedness. See, we can put on this cloak of, well, I'm free in Christ. My only king is Christ. Well, all that's true. But the king Christ has also said, submit yourself to the ordinance of men. So we've got to, we've got to work the balance here. And he said, now listen, as free, not using your liberty as a cloak for vice or for wickedness, but as bond servants of God, you see yourself as a servant of God, so I am going to serve God by obeying the ordinances of men. Paul went on to explain this in Romans 13, things that none of us get excited about. He said, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For they're God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And he puts it all out there and says, guys, here's the deal. Give to the government, give to the ministers that God has placed in your life, give them their due. Remember they tried to trap Jesus in this, and Jesus said, hey, bring me one of those coins. And he held up the coin, he said, whose inscription, whose face is on this coin? They said, Caesar's. Good. Give to Caesar what's Caesar and give to God's what's God's. Settle that. That's not the answer they thought it would happen, though. And it put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That wasn't the answer they were looking for. Jesus had been labeled a revolutionary. Revolutionaries always resist back against the government and all the ordinances of men and push, push, push. Well, he didn't do that. And not only that, he encouraged his followers to pay your taxes. Well, that's totally messed up as a revolution. In verse 17 of 1 Peter, again, this is where I'll finish today. Peter says this, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Four directives. To honor all people. He didn't qualify it. It's regardless of their age, race, religion, nationality, capabilities, experience, rank, or anything else. You honor them. And when you give honor to all people, I will assure you of this. You're always bumping them one step closer to Jesus. It's condescending. They feel it. It's repulsive. 
something to maybe encourage you with that this helps me. I have to remind myself of this because obviously we deal with sometimes people that are very difficult. People that have an attitude. I mean, all we did was say good morning and it's just like, there's nothing good about morning. Well, time out here, it's okay. And you know something that might encourage you and you've heard this before, but hurting people hurt people. When you try to be gentle unto all men, and sometimes they bite and snap and are ornery and mean. There's a lot of hurt stored up inside of that fleshly body of theirs. And so here's your opportunity to overcome evil with good. And bump them one step closer to Jesus. Remember all the obstinate people that got up in Jesus' grill all the time? He treated them even with honor. Love the brotherhood. As the Christ followers, you love the brotherhood to serve and honor, to submit, to forbear, to forgive, to encourage, to esteem, to look out for one another. There's an endless list of all the one another's in Scripture that are designed for the brotherhood to demonstrate love continually. It's what the church is designed to do. When anyone would look at this body of people right here, one community church, this should reflect Christ so distinctly in the way that we love each other that this is like, well, that's the Jesus community. It'd be so defined because this is the Jesus community. That's why we show the love for the brotherhood. To fear God, I submit myself to God's word no matter what. And that's what the fear of God does. I just place myself subject unto the Lord in all things and I'm going to obey the word of God no matter what. And the last one, if you just put yourself in the context of Peter's day, honor the king. That's so hard to hear. If you, especially if you know heinous men, whoever was a leader of Rome was the king. Exterminated people with no cause. And the scripture says honor him. Yes. Why? He's God's minister. Well, what kind of God is that? A God who sees all things perfectly and in his wisdom raises up one, puts down another, and does all of these things to accomplish his divine purpose. Don't ever forget, our Savior came to this planet and was crucified at the hands of people who in government we would look at unjustly, and they failed. But from God's perspective, Scripture was fulfilled, the way of salvation was paid, and you and I are sitting here now 2,000 years later, if you've accepted Christ as a redeemed servant of God, forgiven with an eternal destiny in heaven, now you're a stranger and a pilgrim in this land because your home is in glory with God. If I could summarize, I mean, he just gave us four things to remember. Let me summarize it with a verse. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 gives you a whole life structure. He said, he has shown you, O man, what is good. We try to figure out, we're supposed to do good. Okay. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, always be fair. To be just, to be right. 
to obey and submit yourself to the ordinances of men because they're the Lord's ministers. To do justly, to love mercy. When you love mercy, not only do you love to receive it, we all love receiving mercy, but you love to give it as well. And to walk humbly with your God. When I choose to walk humbly with the Lord, I don't have to kind of get it all figured out. I don't have to play God in this moment. I just want to walk humbly with Him that He would guide the steps of my life and order these things and knowing that my role today is submit myself to the ordinance of men. And it is the testimony of how I go about that brings a testimony of my life in Christ and reveals my love for the Lord Jesus Christ and how I do that.